Good evening. This morning we discussed Mark chapter 9, 42 through 48. We're not going to reread that passage, just going to give you a summary statement of what we discussed in that passage. And that is a religious leader, a teacher, a parent, grandparents causing a follower, one that may be considered insignificant by the greats, to stumble, to be pained is very, very serious. It would be better to be drowned than to cause a follower to stumble. It would be better to be to cut off one's hand or foot or pluck out one's eye than to cause a follower to stumble. And again, we discussed that passage some this morning. And I mentioned tonight we want to look at some parallel passages in relation to that tonight. Now, list some passages. We won't look them all up. But the passages deal with the fact that whether it be a leader, whether it be a pastor, elder, deacon, ministry leader, musician. When I say musician, I'm talking those that would sing to impact others in our world today. Parents or grandparents, they are responsible for how they relate to those that they impact. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks about the fact that some of the leaders were not responding very well, but we want to go to the next passage, Matthew chapter 23. Again, Just thinking about the fact that the way leaders, the way parents, the way teachers, the way pastors, the way grandparents relate and respond is very, very critical because they do impact people very, very deeply. In Matthew chapter 23, we'll begin reading with with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They do not practice what they preach. They tie heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries, and they are wooden boxes that would be put on the wrist. They would be put in the forehead that contains scriptures. They make them wide and make them wide, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. Then in verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And the same thing in verse 27. What is Jesus communicating? He is very, very clearly and specifically calling those religious leaders, those that were influencing people that day, hypocrites. You may teach one thing, but you live a different life. You do not practice what you preach. He holds them responsible. He says in verse 27, Woe to you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. You know, these leaders had a tremendous impact. Let's go to Acts chapter 25. In Acts 25, we find that the Apostle Paul is speaking to the believer, or the, I'm sorry, the elders of Ephesus. And he says some very clear things to them. Did I say Acts 25? It's Acts 20. Acts 20 and verse 25. Acts 20 and verse 25. He says, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Then verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Notice in verse 28, the first exhortation is keep watch over yourselves. He says that before, keeping watch over the flock and being shepherds. Keep watch over yourselves. If a leader, if a parent, in this case it's leaders, but if a leader, if a parent, if a grandparent, if a teacher, if a musician does not keep watch over himself or herself, they will not do very well in how they respond to others. I'm not so sure I enjoy doing this, but sometimes I like to ask those involved in positions of leadership and teaching and so on, just where they are spiritually. A little while back, I was talking to a missionary, and I I said, I got some point-blank questions for you. How are you doing in your own Bible reading and prayer and just renewing your mind? I said, how are you relating to your wife? I said, what are you doing with the Internet? Are you using the Internet in any inappropriate way at all? I asked him a few other questions. When I get done, I said, I hope you don't take offense at any of this. I said, I'm concerned. 
you're a missionary, you impact others. No, I want you to keep watch over yourself. He said, no, but you're the first person that ever asked me about that. I'm amazed at how few times in my years of pastoring that I've been asked, how are you renewing your mind? What are you doing with the internet? How are you loving your wife? How are you doing with your kids? How are you doing with your grandkids and so on? I got to keep watch over myself. I need someone to ask me hard questions because I impact others. If no one else, my wife and my kids and grandkids the most. Paul says, keep watch over yourselves. You know, elders, keep watch over yourselves because you influence others. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul talked about being in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, he's talking about how being in Christ should influence the way we live. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Dads, we can exasperate our children. We can cause them to sin, as we discussed this morning in Mark chapter 9. Anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin, it'd be better if a millstone were tied around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up on the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up on the teaching, the correction, the discipline, and instruction or warning of the Lord. But fathers apparently can exasperate their children. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say, don't do it. You see, how do you exasperate a child? By failing to train and instruct them. Now, let's go to another passage that ties in with that. Colossians chapter 3. Again, he's talking about how in Christ applies in Colossians 3. In verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Fathers apparently can sin against their children, embitter them, and that embitterment will results in discouragement. As you think about the world in which we live in our in the U.S. today, how many children have been embittered by their father? It would be better for a millstone to be tied around the neck, to be thrown into the sea, than to cause one of these little ones to sin. Fathers, do not embitter. And I realize children have a responsibility also, but fathers are not to embitter. Just the impact that a father has on children. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we won't turn there, but we find there that Paul says, here's how I responded to you. I responded to you as a mother does, and I responded to you as a father does. Again, you know, just the care the concern. 
Let's go to 1 Timothy. Chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul's writing to Timothy. He was pastor. And he's giving Timothy some instructions. And he says in verse 11, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Command and teach these things, but he also says, set an example. The Pharisees were the opposite of an example. They were saying one thing, but living a different one. And here Paul says to Timothy, set an example for believers in your speech, your life, your love, your faith, and impurity. Because what you teach is impacted by how you live. He goes on in verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Here we have Timothy as a pastor. He's leading a local church. And Paul says, persevere in what I'm saying because you'll save yourself and your hearers. Again, leaders, teachers, musicians, pastors, elders, deacons, parents and grandparents influence others. For good or that which is not good. Let's go to one other passage, then we'll look at some applications. James 3, James chapter 3. Again, I realize we're leaping into the context, and I think I'm pretty well aware of the context. I'm safe in saying that I'm not distorting it. James 3. James deals with a variety of issues of just how to live in relating to God 24-7. And he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. Why? Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. The longer I've been in the ministry, probably the more more concerned I am about how I live, and how I teach. Because I will be judged more strictly. An elder will be judged strictly. A deacon on a little different level. Musicians will be judged strictly because musicians have a tremendous impact on thousands upon thousands of people. 
dads and moms will be judged because of the impact their children and their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren. Grandparents impact so many. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I give an account for what I taught this morning. I give an account for what I taught tonight. I give an account for how I lived this week. He says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. I like that verse. You know, you control your tongue. You basically control your life. Think about it. Doesn't most of the trouble we get into come from this little thing in our mouth called the tongue? I remember years ago, I bought a poster over at Craigles, and I had it in my bulletin board here in my study. It was three birds on a, sitting on an electric line. Two of them were chirping away, and one was just sitting there, you know, with his beak closed, you know, smug as could be. And the statement was something to effect, even a fool is thought wise until he opens his mouth. Be careful about being a teacher because you don't want to stumble in what you say. And apparently in this context, he's talking about those who would teach others, whether it be in a church setting, but I think it'd be also applicable again to elders, I think to parents, to grandparents, I think it'd be applicable to musicians and others who teach God's Word. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep the whole body in check. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that we put bits in horses' mouths to make them obey us, and that we can turn the whole animal and so on. But the tongue cannot be tamed, but only by God's grace. I think we would be wiser to be known for fewer words than too many words. Proverbs says something about where there's many words, there tends to be more offense. You know, and so on, and I'm not saying how much to speak or whatever. But apparently, especially for teachers of Scripture, weigh your words carefully. Because pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, musicians, parents, grandparents are very responsible and very accountable because... They impact so many. I've been getting to be an older man now. But I was impacted deeply by my pastor when I was a kid. By some Sunday school teachers. By a youth leader 
The other day when we were up at Baptist Bible, standing in the hall, I saw on the door Dr. David Lackey, and I said to Ruth Ann, you know, that's Bruce Lackey's son, a professor that I had at Baptist Bible, or not Baptist Bible, but at Tennessee Temple. He impacted me deeply. Still influencing me today, even though that was some 40 years ago. What is my point? Those who teach, pastor, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, musicians, parents, grandparents, impact others. And in Mark 9, when Jesus says, it would be better for one to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to sin. He's saying some heavy-duty things there. I want to look at a couple examples of how those in positions of teaching and impacting others can cause little ones, and we're not talking kids, we're talking those that are being taught and led and so on to stumble. A teacher or a leader, church, Sunday school, or whatever, playing favorites to smart students. I'm not talking in a public school setting or school setting now. I'm talking within the body of Christ, playing favorites to smart students. You say, what impact does that have on the others? The other students are tempted to be discouraged and live a life of comparison and give up and say, what's the use? Another example, a father expecting children to obey him when he doesn't serve his wife. You say, how would that have anything to do with children? Well, it exasperates children and embitters children since they are to obey dad's authority. But dad is not obeying God's authority when God says a husband is to be a servant leader. So dad says, you obey me because I'm an authority over you, but by his life he is not obeying God. And that embitters a child. That exasperates a child. Well, why can dad not obey, but I have to obey? You know, and cause a little one, cause the child to become embittered, to be exasperated. And many times will impact a child most of their life. I, as a father, and I'm speaking of myself now, if I'm to say to my children when they were growing up and even today that they should respond to my authority and I'm not responding to God's authority in some area of my life, I will tend to move them to being embittered and exasperated. Ephesians chapter 6. Another example, an employer who uses employees for his gain. I'm talking about a believer who is an employer using employees for his gain rather than serving them. You say, what do you mean? Isn't an employer to make some money and so on? I'm not talking about whether you make money or not. I'm talking about for the employer to get ahead at the expense of the employees. No, he doesn't treat them fairly. If they do a good job, he doesn't reward them. You know, basically uses them to get ahead in a 
negative way. You say, why do you use an employer? Because employers impact employees. So what's the result? An employee is lured to do poor work. An employer wants good work from his employees, treat them well, care for them, encourage them, give them a decent wage. If you do well, reward them financially, you know. See, that has a positive impact. And if the employer gets wealthy material in the process, great, just share some of that. You know, that's the opposite. But an employer who uses employees, and we have seen examples of that in in our national history, where a company just takes advantage of an employee or employees, has a tremendous impact. A pastor or ministry leader spending more time with those who have money and influence. That never happens in the Christian community. May I tell you how Christian leaders are tempted to think? So they come across someone that might have some money, and they think, oh, yeah, they'll really benefit us, won't they? Or someone that may have some gifts or abilities, there's a temptation to think, well, we could really use them. That's wrong. Talking to a pastor one time, well, it was a group of us talking, and he said about he was going to get together with so-and-so. I didn't know the man, but he told, you know, said a little about him, and I thought, hmm, I should have opened my mouth, but I didn't. He said, I want to spend some time with that guy because he has money. What does that do? That discourages and disheartens those who may be poor or are just an average believer. You know, it uh, causes them to sin. They become discouraged and disheartened. And has a very, very big impact in a negative way. Anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin. Another example. Parents who speak down about God-ordained authorities. Government, church, school. What happens? Children struggle in respecting authority figures. Children struggle and obeying mom and dad because mom and dad are also an authority, but mom and dad are speaking a poor example. So we have some things happen in our government, and dad or mom or both talk about how terrible the government is, how terrible our governor is, or how terrible our president is, and so on. I said talk about how terrible it is. I'm not saying don't discuss issues. That's not my point. But, you know, putting them down. The child in the back of the mind, whether the child realizes it or not, is being tempted, is being lured into sin to disrespect authority. I say this in due respect to Ruth Ann's parents. 
There were times in Ruth Ann's home when her parents would not have been too kind to church leaders. That has and continues to impact Ruth Ann and her brother. It'll just kind of, huh, pastor did this. You know, deacons, uh, you know, did this and did that. Undermines. And teaches children to disrespect authority, causing them to sin. Children come home from school and whine about the teacher. We know that teachers are like students. None of them are perfect. But teachers are an authority. Oh, a teacher said this. And the parent says, oh, those terrible teachers. You're leading your child to sin. You say, how? To disrespect authority. That'll have an impact. See, the passages we looked at tonight are basically saying the same thing as Mark chapter 9 this morning. Be careful that you don't cause one of these little ones, one of these immature, one of the followers, to sin. It's better, that is, to sin, to stumble, to fall. It's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to sin. As the Lord works in our hearts and our lives, there is only bondage when we blame others, when we get defensive, when we try to control our lives. There is much freedom in confession, repentance, when the Lord convicts. There have been a number of occasions in almost 42 years of marriage that I have not led Ruth Ann as I should. And Ruth Ann many times will not speak to me quickly about that, and I've told her over and over again, if I don't respond correctly, tell me. Don't sit around and mope and don't make me wonder for weeks what's going on. Just tell me, you know, so that I can deal with it and so on. And I've learned And Ruth Ann speaks, and she says, look, Dan, this has been happening. There's freedom in just saying, honey, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? A number of years ago, I'm speaking as a pastor now. I was a pastor at the time. I realized that a barrier had come between myself and several people within our church. I didn't know what the problem was. I had no idea what the problem was. And I got wind of a little something. So I went to the individuals involved and I said, would you please tell me what's going on here? I don't understand. 
you know, I sense that our relationship has changed very, very greatly. I had caused them to stumble. Not willingly, you know, not that I thought about it and said I'm going to do this, but I had. And they were people that would be considered of little importance in our church. They were people that had little influence. And they were also people that had very little financial means. And as I talked to them, they pointed out my fault. I said, I'm very, very, very sorry. I didn't mean it to happen. You know, I didn't intentionally plan it, but I did. It happened. And then they, their home, I asked their forgiveness, and they forgave. So when I say to you, as we discussed this morning, as we're discussing tonight, when we do cause someone to sin, there is freedom in addressing it rather than protecting ourselves. God's grace is so big. And when we realize that we may have caused someone to sin, go to them. Seek their forgiveness. Seek God's forgiveness. And pick up and go on with life. There's freedom. The opposite of that is bondage. When we're in bondage, we become more and more miserable to those around us because we try to protect ourselves more and more. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And whether it be pastors, whether it be elders or deacons, or ministry leaders or musicians, or parents or grandparents, we recognize we do influence others. And I think most of our desires would be to not cause others to stumble. But when we do, may we be sensitive to being willing to own up to it and experience the freedom that you give. We love you, Father. We want to be messengers of grace. When we influence others, Father, we want to be pointing them to Christ and how to live well for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.